Today on Ag News Daily. It's still ingrained in my everyday life, and when I'm not shooting, I am um, I'm working here with my family and, you know, working on my own horses and helping my, my parents. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, you are working on a cool project this afternoon. Why don't you tell our listeners about that? Of course. I am going up to Hereford, Texas. I'm going to go and visit Brent Carlson. Um, He is a fellow podcaster on the Global Ag Network. And we're going to go up there. We're going to shoot some some video for a special project that we have coming up. And we're going to do some audio for his podcast as well as ours. So be sure to keep an eye out for what we have coming up. Yeah, you're going to be doing some video, some social media stuff. So people will have to check that out. Ashton, do you know why it's called Hereford, Texas or what it was named after? I don't really know the history about it, but I bet I can guess. (laughs) Yes, it's the beef capital of the world because uh, it was at one point in time the largest number of cattle on feed in the area. And I think that perhaps the Hereford breed was also not started there, but I think that's like where one of the biggest herds came from. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that were to be true. I know out here in the Panhandle, I believe it's a 250 mile radius. We have the biggest number of feeder cattle in the nation. Mm. Wow. So I'm not really shocked by that at all. We will go outside like in the nighttime. Obviously, it's pretty windy here. We're completely flat. Um, and it'll just smell like feed yards. And those kids that aren't involved really in agriculture think that it just smells like poop. But <laughs> we, we joke and it, we say that it smells like money outside. So yeah, no, I agree. It does. It does smell like money outside. Um, and speaking of money, the CFAP or Coronavirus Food Assistance Program payment program or payment program Um has released some numbers and farmers, if you've signed up for the CFAP, you likely have already received that either via check or direct deposit into your bank account. As of earlier this week, CFAP has released payments of more than $545 million. And so we are continuing to watch that because of course, in total, there's about 16 billion coming in financial assistance that's going to be made available for CFAP. But currently, we've seen about 86,000 applicants, and you are eligible to apply until August 28th. So don't worry if you haven't signed up yet. You've still got plenty of time. But in going along with the CFAP thing here, I wanted to just segue into this other piece of news I had for today, looking at farm forecasts for 2020 and 2021. The latest farm economy forecast is projecting that farm earnings will dive nosedive again this year and again in 2021 unless we see a big influx of additional government aid such as CFAP, MFP, whatever you want to call it. So USDA is forecasting right now that net farm income, net cash farm income I should say, will drop by 15% even after the, that $16 billion in CFAP payments comes into farmers' pockets. And we're seeing net cash income is projected to fall again then in 2021 to about $95.1 billion. So 
I know a lot of farmers do not like taking government aid and it feels a little socialist or mm, I, I suppose socialist. Um, and people maybe look at it as a handout outside of agriculture. But the, the thing is that we're the ones producing the food in agriculture. We have to feed the world and feed our people. So I guess that's why the government can justify doing this so frequently. And I just really hope that commodity prices fix themselves at some point. But I guess on the other side of that, it's like if you keep giving out government payments, the market, is the market truly working? Is the market fixing itself or is the market not able to do that because there's outside interference? I'm right there with you, Delaney. I'm really hoping that these predictions don't come true because it just absolutely breaks my heart for those farmers and ranchers that are really hurting right now. And it's just going to ripple effect and go into 2020 or 2021. We're in 2020. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of right there with you and hoping that things work themselves out in the best way that they can. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I forget what I was going to say. I just had a space out moment. So t- take it away, Ashton. What other news are you watching for today? Today, I am watching a couple of headlines, but the first one that I was looking at this morning coming from Brazil. So their largest chicken processor, BRFSA, has closed its Rio Verde plant as it tests workers for coronavirus. So the company employs 8,600 people directly and indirectly at the Rio Verde plant, which is the largest plant in that, in Brazil. And There hasn't been a timeline provided on when they plan on reopening that location, Um, but that location specifically, obviously it processes chicken as well as pork, and they tested all employees between June 5th and 6th, and 32% of those results are available right now, but BRF has not said if any workers have tested positive. So I'm really not sure why they closed down the plant and tested all of their employees. I think maybe there was some kind of occurrence possibly because I don't know why they would shut the plant down and test all of them, but um, we'll see when they reopen and if any of their employees have tested positive for COVID-19. Yeah. And of course the other uh, big industry here that is being tested frequently is the meat processing industries, beef and chicken processing facilities are back up and running at about 98% capacity according to the USDA. Pork processing facilities are still largely opened at 95% of their average capacity, so it does seem that the supply chain should be getting somewhat back to normal. I honestly, I mean, we just have so much beef and pork at home. I didn't really buy a lot of meat during COVID-19, so I, I really can't say whether or not grocery stores did experience shortages other than like pictures I saw on social media or articles. Did you see anything like that, Ashton? Um, Not really in stores, at least not meat wise. I did see, you know, a lack of bread and Mm -hmm. goods, but not particularly meat. I did. I think I mentioned this before on the podcast. I went to like buy chicken legs one time and there was no chicken legs, but there were like breasts and thighs and that kind of stuff. So I didn't see too big of a lag in production, at least on at the grocery store. But like you, I have a couple of pounds of ground pork and ground beef in my fridge already. So. Absolutely. 
Uh, I think the only other piece of news I had for today was another marketplace that continues to open up, this time for U.S. dairy producers. The U.S. Dairy Export Council has some good news for American dairy producers that Vietnam has recently signed a decree that will unilaterally lower tariffs on a number of key dairy products and ingredients, including skim milk powder, whole milk powder, cheese, and protein isolate. This decree is intended to go into effect on July 10th and will lower tariffs on dairy products by 50% or more. So I know Vietnam is not a huge marketplace, but it's definitely a win right now for U.S. dairy markets after they've had such a rough time having to dump out milk, having low commodity prices. It seems that finally finally they're getting a few wins here and there. Well, awesome. That makes me really happy because it's dairy month. Like I've said, Mm, that's true. Good news for that industry. I have one more piece of news before we go into markets and it's concerning the livestock risk protection insurance program. That program is supposed to go under changes. The USDA's risk management agency announced the changes to the livestock risk protection insurance program will be for feeder cattle, feed cattle, and swine starting this summer with the 2021 crop year. So these changes include moving premium dates to the end of the endorsement period and increasing premium subsidies to assist producers. Specifically, the changes um, allow premiums to be paid at the end of the endorsement period, putting it in line with other policies. And another change is to increase the premium subsidy for coverage levels above 80%. Those with an 80% or higher coverage level will get a 5% five percentage point subsidy increase. So not really sure exactly what will happen with that program, but I do know that these improvements are trying to be implemented by July 1st, so producers can oh, take wow. advantage of those changes. So, okay, we'll see how that pans out. We certainly will. The other thing we're watching to see how it pans out is tomorrow's WASDI report. So ahead of that, the markets were pretty quiet today, but uh, reading through some trade expectations, it doesn't sound like folks are really expecting to see USDA adjust acreage or yield numbers tomorrow, especially when it comes to that 97 million acres of corn planted. But taking a look at the trade today, the July corn contract finished a penny and a quarter lower at 326 and a quarter. The Dees finished a penny and three three quarters lower at 341 and a half. In the soybean pit, slight gains on the day as a July contract up two and a half cents, tickles at 856 and three quarters. The November up a half a cent as well, tickles at 877 even. In the wheat pits, the July contract up two cents on the day to close at 506 and a half. September up a penny and a quarter to close at 512 flat. In the livestock markets, red on the screen, except for the June cattle contract, which is about to expire, finished 27.5 cents higher. The August live cattle contract, $1.30 lower on the day to close at 96.50. In the feeder cattle pits, the August contract shed a 
dollar fifty seven and a half to close at one thirty two sixty seven and a half. This September down a dollar forty to close at one thirty four fifteen. In the lean hog markets, the weakness continues with the June contract again close to expiration, shutting twenty two and a half cents to end at forty seven eighty five. The July down seventeen cents to close at fifty two eighty. And hopping over into the dairy. Parlor red continues today as the June contract finished 21 cents lower to close at 2035. The July down 30 cents to close at 1930. Without further ado, let's turn it over to our conversation today with a rancher and agricultural photographer. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper, which has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state of Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is essentially an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's podcast episode, I'm very excited because we take on the question that is absolutely top of mind right now for livestock farmers. As meat processing plants struggle to keep up with farmer demand, where can farmers turn to market their livestock? For answers, we turn to Terry Kearns, who's the co-owner of Eastern Iowa's popular Edgewood Locker, and Dr. Catherine Polking, who is the Bureau Chief for the Iowa Department of Agriculture's Meat and Poultry Inspection Bureau. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app, or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Emily McCartney, a Western lifestyle photographer from Throckmorton, I believe. Is that right, Emily? Yes, Throckmorton, Texas. Awesome. Throckmorton, Texas. And she's joining us today to talk to us about being a photographer. And she has a lot of cool details about her experiences. I follow her on Instagram and I highly suggest you guys do that, but we'll get her at here in a little bit. Emily, why don't you go ahead and talk to us about your experiences um, as a Western lifestyle photographer, how you kind of came to be as a photographer and your background, all that good stuff. Sure. So I actually uh, started my career fairly early um, I began taking photos when I was about 11 or 12 years old. I was very involved in uh, 4-H growing up, and they have a photography project. And I expressed interest in that, and my mom had an old Kodak camera. It was digital. Um, and I would just borrow that and go take pictures outside of flowers and trees and horses and dogs and just, you know, what little 12-year-old girls take pictures of. And... Uh, I just, I loved it. It was like my favorite thing to do in the evenings. And I just kind of went from there. Um, when I was 16, my parents gifted me a, a refurbished Canon uh, DSLR camera for my 16th birthday. And um, I used that camera through high school and started taking uh, senior portraits, family portraits, just kind of in in the area, um, neighboring towns around Throckmorton, and um, just kind of started figuring it out on my own. I definitely am, I would consider myself self-taught, and I think when you start at such a young age, you know, you don't 
I did have access to the internet, but it just was different. And I just kind of figured it out on my own and I figured out what worked and um, kind of just taught myself. And so I kind of have a different view on it because I did start so young. But so from there, um, let's see, I went to Texas Tech and I decided to major in agricultural communications. Um, I found that that was a perfect mix of the ranching lifestyle that I grew up in and continued to be involved in, as well as um, the photography hobby and business that I had begun to create for myself. Um, And so that was a really great opportunity to be able to hone those skills in college um, and learn some entrepreneurship skills, business skills. And then in 2017, um, May of 17, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in agriculture communications. And that is when I decided to launch Emily McCartney Photography full-time. Um, so I did, I, I did a lot of work through college, um, helped pay for my school and living. And then, like I said, launched after graduation as a, as a freelance photographer. Um, so I guess I am, uh, three years in the game and I know that that it's still the the best decision I've made. And I know that it's what I I'm supposed to do. And that's, that's a good feeling even, even through the ups and downs. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of the journey of how I started. So I guess about mm, next year, I will have been a photographer for 10 years. So kind of got an early start on that, which has its perks and, and also has some bad habits that I had to learn how to quit. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, um, it's been a fun journey so far. Absolutely. And I think I'm kind of getting like goosebumps sitting here hearing about your story just because it's so obvious how passionate you are about photography. And Emily, looking at your portfolio, the pictures you take are just breathtaking. And I feel like they tell a story in themselves without using any sort of, you know, words or video or anything. Um, tell us about some of the stories, so to speak, that you're able to tell with your photography or, or why you choose to focus so much on agriculture and ranching and not, I don't know, other other aspects of photography. Yeah, so I've kind of always been told that um, what you photograph or depict, you know, whatever form of art you showcase um, is it's a picture of your heart and there is no doubt that, um, ranching and agriculture and horses and cattle is very much, um, who I am. And it's a, it's a huge makeup of what my heart is and what I care about. And so I, from a young age have found myself being drawn to, to focus on showcasing that lifestyle. And, um, it, it, it comes natural, more natural to me because I grew up in this in this little world and I have an eye for authenticity in ranching. And um, I think that's something that has been helpful to me in my career, um, especially in commercial photography when there, you know, people are looking for authentic Western images um, and I'm able to, to photograph, you know, a ranch from the viewpoint of a rancher's daughter, from someone that has spent countless hours horseback herself. And um, I've been told that that's something that really sets me apart in my images as far as authenticity. Um, but 
it's what I crave. It's what I love. Um, when I'm not shooting, I am, I'm the sixth generation of my family's operation here in Throckmorton, Texas. And, um, we raise cattle and quarter horses. And so it's in, it's still ingrained in my everyday life. And when I'm not shooting, I am, um, I'm working here with my family and, you know, working on my own horses and helping my, my parents and brothers. And, um, so it's just completely who I am and it's something I haven't gotten sick of yet, I guess. So Emily, you did the front porch project during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I know that you have a new exhibit on display at your, um, your gallery. And so I guess my question is, is how do you get your inspiration for the projects that you do rather than just taking some pictures and throwing them together? So the front porch project, um, I can just cover that first if you want. Um, that was totally a spur of the moment thing. So obviously COVID-19 hit, um, in March and that was unexpected to everyone. Um, and I had to kind of just go on hold with my travel, um, with the, all the shoots that I had scheduled. Um, and so I was just here and luckily I was, I was at home and I kind of got to looking around and I was like, you know, what's, what's something that I can do while I am here? Like, I don't just have to be completely still. And there's some way that I can still use my talent during this time. Um, and I actually saw on Facebook, um, a photographer out of Groover, Texas had posted that she was going to do this front porch project and take pictures of people on their front porch. And she was, she's a portrait photographer, a very good one. And um, I, I didn't, I do not know her, but I, I reached out to her and I just asked, you know, this, I think this is really cool. Would you mind if this is something that I also did in my community? And she, she told me that it's actually a movement that photographers all over the nation were doing mm. during COVID-19 and that, uh, you know, all photographers should encourage each other to document during this time. So that was a really cool thing. Um, and I took it and ran with it and put my own twist on it. I have always been really inspired by photojournalism, black and white, Dorothy Lang type Dust Bowl type photography. Um, and so that's kind of the style that I implemented with it and just kind of formatted it to fit my community of Throckmorton. Um, and a little background on Throckmorton. Population is 726 people. Um and heavily a ranching cattle and oil community as far as the commodities here. Um, so needless to say, when the oil market crashed and the cattle market crashed, um, a lot of people were left with a lot of concerns around here. Um, and you could just feel that. You could just see it on people's faces. And, you know, everyone just kind of things were a little heavier around here for a while. And um, I decided to use that time to go around and do the front porch images and hopefully make people's day and then be able to document the real life that was happening in Throckmorton County at that time. So um, that's when, you know, social distancing was first being implemented. And, and there was just a lot of fear and a lot of, you know, unknown going on. Um, and that was a wonderful project just as far as the joy that it was able to bring to my community. And it really was cool how it united everyone. Um, so because we are such a, a small tight knit community, 
um, it, I just was able to put a message out on Facebook and um, people immediately started calling, texting me and saying, yes, come to our house, come to our house. So I think for about two and a half weeks straight um, towards the end of March, I just every evening would just drive around in my Jeep and have my windows down and people were outside and I just asked if I could take their picture or I had a list, an ongoing list of people that had texted me and wanted me to come by. And, um, you know, I just encouraged them to not dress up for this. You know, if you're barefoot, just be you. Don't put makeup on. I want to document our current life right now. And so it just was really neat. Um, I, I'm proud of this community and, and the just salt of the earth people that live here. And I think that shows through my images. And it's become a really cool collection that um, CNN actually picked up and included in a short article that's featured on their website. And uh, that was that was a pretty cool deal. But so that's kind of a little backstory on the Front Porch Project. Um, and then as far as the images that I decide to put together to do for exhibits in my gallery, um, I, I don't know. I kind of get my inspiration in a lot of different places. So the current exhibit I have up is called the Timeless Exhibit, and it's a um, collection of black and white images from different working ranches um, that I've been to over, I mean, the past like five years. So it wasn't premeditated. Um, it was, I just kind of started looking at some of my favorite ranching Western lifestyle images and the ones that I had in black and white and decided that I could pull some of those and put together a cool collection that kind of tells the story of the different aspects of um, present day ranching um, in the West. And so that's just kind of what I did. I, I love black and white. Um, I love the old school vibes. And so the timeless name kind of comes from the fact that these black and white images, I chose pictures that looked um, very authentic and very timeless as if, you know, you might not be able to tell uh, what year they were from, if they were originally black and white or if they were present day. So that was, that's a fun exhibit. Um, and it's actually going to be coming to an end soon and I'll be replacing it with something new. Very neat. It sounds like you are definitely keeping busy, Emily. Before we let you go, share with our listeners how they can find your gallery or your front porch exhibit if they'd like to check out some of your work. Yes, um, I my website is emilymccartneyphotography.com. Um, you can see uh, portfolios there from portraits to ranch pictures, um, and also the front porch project. And, uh, then my Instagram, uh, my Instagram handle is E underscore McCart. And I'm, uh, every day posting images on there and that's a good portfolio to look at also. And you can contact me there as well. Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining. Yes. Thank y'all. Thanks again to Emily McCartney for joining us today to talk about her photography and her experiences as a Western lifestyle photographer. I know that those photographers are a little bit different than the norm, I would say, and she's definitely an inspiration to me and she's a fellow Red Raider. So how can I not just absolutely <laughs> love her work? Yeah, I just like I follow a lot of rancher 
like that type of styling of photography on Instagram. And I love seeing those pictures. I honestly, between that and watching Yellowstone, I kind of wish sometimes that I lived out West or lived like in Texas on a big, huge cattle ranch, but uh, they definitely depict a really neat lifestyle for those people. But we also share cool things on our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter page. Follow us at Ag News Daily on all three or follow Global Ag Network on them as well. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.